Ladies and gentlemen, speaking to you from Nashville, Tennessee. This is Tyson Matzabacher, and you're listening to the True Tunes Podcast. Welcome back to the True Tunes Podcast. I'm John J. Thompson, and today we're excited to feature Tyson Motzenbacher, an artist who is defining a very new and exciting way to be successful in the music scene today. His brand of thoughtful, textured pop has found a growing audience around the world. His songs are brutally honest, often self-deprecating, frequently irreverent, and willing to confront issues like depression, anxiety, and doubt through catchy melodies, layered production, and engaging lyrical twists. With over 10 million streams under his belt and a sound that is both contemporary and classic, Motzenbacher seems to be defining the music industry odds on just about every front. A little later in the show, we'll take a break and crank up the True Tunes jukebox to take a listen to Revealer, the new album by another one of our favorite young artists, who happens to be a friend and co-conspirator of Matzenbacher's songwriter, singer, and guitarist Madison Cunningham. What is wrong? gets rolling right after we take care of a little bit of housekeeping. Hey, this is Ray, and I'm a Patreon backer of the True Tunes podcast. I have also left a rating and review of the show at Apple Podcasts. It wasn't that hard. It didn't cost me anything. But this show means a lot to me, and I know that reviews and ratings make a big difference when it comes to how and if others discover these conversations. Would you take a few minutes maybe even while you're listening, but please not while you're driving, to leave a rating and review. Even if you don't listen on Apple Podcasts, the reviews posted there push out to podcast platforms all around the world. Oh, and take some time to tell your friends about the show. Let's drive those numbers up together. Thanks. Hey there, I'm Mark Feldbush, and I'm a Patreon backer of the True Tunes podcast, And I follow and listen to the weekly Spotify gallery stage mixtape that John curates for us every week. I get to hear classic artists that I really dig and discover new artists. Every week, usually on Wednesdays, the mix is updated with around 40 songs from brand new releases to deep cuts and from across a wide range of genres, including rock, Americana, indie, gospel, blues, sacred music, soul, and so much more. 
It's also great to hear a mix that blends up great music that is just good, beautiful, and true without all of the genre and market limitations and boxes I hear everywhere else. You can find the mix on the front page at truetunes.com or on the show notes page for this episode. And if you follow it, it will live there in your Spotify browser and update automatically each week. And don't miss the massive archive list where all previous lists get saved. And as great as Spotify is for music discovery, please support the artists you love once you hear and discover them there. Thanks. Tyson Matzenbacher's music since I first heard him several years ago. We talked about having him on the show back when we first launched, but COVID shut us down. But Tyson recently stopped in Nashville to support his latest album, Milk Teeth, and we were finally able to get together, in person, at the Well Koinonia Coffee Shop on Music Row. If you are new to his music, well, get ready to meet a new friend. Tyson Matzenbacher is the real deal. We're here in person, yeah, and it feels long overdue because right when I was getting the podcast started was about the time I first started hearing your music, but then this pandemic and all this stuff kind of slowed everything down. So yeah. it's, it's great to have you here in person here at the Well on Music Row, this kind of historic spot, and thank you for making time for us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. And you're from the Pacific Northwest originally, San Diego now, but originally the Northwest? Yep, so I grew up. Uh, in the what's called the inland northwest so everything that's like east of the mountains there okay yeah and that's an area that's definitely associated at least in the alternative music Mm -hmm. world with with a lot of great music yeah um how how did that impact you as a kid how aware of the musical legacy of the northwest were you yeah very much so i mean it's it's the northwest is like completely separated from the rest of the country it's like this it's a totally isolated place up there it's it's not really that much unlike living in alaska or hawaii culturally because there's all this space um between you know seattle and los angeles or seattle and denver or whatever it's just like space so um i think what that does culturally or musically and you can hear it in all the bands that have come out of there is that it feels it always feels like kind of two steps removed from the rest of the music industry a little bit or like what's going on everywhere else. And part of that is because I think that there's a like there's a there's a real rugged individualism that that happens with living there. So there's I think part of it is like this resistance to doing what other people are what is successful. It feels almost impossible. And so I think it actually lends people to doing something that's um 
maybe less likely to be commercially successful, but really likely to be super true to what they want to be doing. One of the things I remember hearing about as the Seattle sound, the grunge mm-hmm. sound kicked off was it rains constantly here. Mm-hmm. So you're inside yes. and you might as well play music or something like you're going to either play video games or you're going to play music. Do you think that the atmosphere, the gloominess, the the constant rain, do you, do you buy that, that that had a, an effect on the sound of the Pacific Northwest? Without question. I mean, huh. and I think that the Pacific Northwest in general, I mean, you don't have Elliot Smith in LA or whatever. Like, you know, he had to be born. In, I mean, he lived there later, but he had to be born in, in, or like he had to be born in the Northwest to sound the way that he did. There's also like an incredible amount of like tension and release in the Northwest. Like the, the spring and the summer in the Northwest is like nothing you've ever seen. Everything is bright green and there's water everywhere and it's sunny and, and it comes on the back of these just like devastatingly brutal winters in Seattle. It's just rainy the whole time. Like where I grew up on the East side, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, it's like living in Alberta. It's like, you know, it's freezing cold and, uh, the snow, you know, it snows in November and then it stays frozen brown snow on the ground until April. Nature is very unforgiving in the Northwest. So I think that like that does drive people inside. It like kind of heightens emotions. There's a reason why I think like the music in the Northwest tends to be like pretty emotionally wrought. So, you know, it's like pretty and pretty like heavy uh, subject matter. And the people that are championed, are, I think, are people that like really, you know, Cobain and Elliott Smith and like even like Death Cab for Cutie or something like these bands that are that come out of there they they tend to embody that and they sound like the weather like I've actually I've actually said before that like even to this day like I always joke that I don't play in Florida which of course I of course I will and, and like just you don't do concerts in Florida yeah that I don't tour in Florida and and I've I've like people there that like what I do and I I always have a lovely time there but Florida to me feels like the antithesis of what I make because it's you know it's sort of sunny and it's like the it's a different type of escapism than happens in the Northwest and I always joke that like when I'm on tour people that have to be inside in the winter those have always been the people that understood what I was doing first. Yeah. And coming up in Chicago, I mean, it, it was winter, Mm -hmm. you know, 10, nine, 10 months out of the year, it felt like. Totally. And so it did have that exaltation of Mm -hmm. the first time you could put your window down in your car. Yeah. Like you're just, uh, you wanted to scream. You were Mm -hmm. so excited. We did it. We survived. We made it through the winter. Yeah. And, and, and then also that cool feeling of foreboding in October, like that, that oh it's coming it's coming again you yeah. know like is it going to get us well or like living in california where i live now which is that like i i literally like there were probably like six or seven years that passed where i i didn't realize this but there was like something in me that was like it felt like time had stopped and i had a really hard time with it where i was like i i couldn't figure out why i felt so paused in my life and stuff it was because there was none of that like tension and release like the narrative right. of the seasons right. and i was like three years in i was like what's I, I, we just got here and I was like, this is three years ago. It's because it was like, it's one day, you know, it's always 70 degrees and sunny and, and it's a nice place to live. But it's like, I think it, it's actually really not super positive for your brain. Like to, right. to think like, Oh, like it's good for you, like sleeping and waking. And you know, like all these cycles are important. Right. Is it such a bad idea being bright? Wearing our own skin to the fray If it's not worth risking everything 
I would say That it wasn't worth having anyway Where the pine trees turn to palms I was wondering Could we belong In a big world That we don't understand I still believe that We will find our So when did you decide that uh, you needed to dive into that musical world as a participant and a creator and not just as a consumer, not just going to shows, but actually making it yourself? When did that hit you? Growing up in the Northwest, like there was never anybody that made it out really. You know, there were tons of bands, but like it was rare, so rare for somebody like hit mainstream success. Um, sometimes because like, now you're coming up. A generation after that whole grunge thing where everybody seemed to be getting a deal and yeah. making it out. And then that window kind of closed. And mm-hmm. so now you're coming up. Yeah. 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 Post all of that. Even the grunge stuff though. It's like nowadays, like, I mean, there were people that were getting huge deals and stuff like that. The, the Seattle sound thing, like the Gen X, the big, like the Seattle explosion. That was like, that was like kind of the first moment I think that Seattle was even on the map. I mean, it was a like both Seattle and Portland were like dingy little port towns. You know, there was nothing there really. Like they were, my world was all indie rock. So it was like well post grunge, you know, like early two thousands. Um, and especially talking like regionally, like regional scene. Um, and there were a lot of folk, folk folks, folk people and, and indie rock bands, um, and, and those bands would make it out occasionally, but it still was this thing where it felt like a miracle, you know? Yeah. Um, like when, and, and also that was also around the time where like there was a big wrestling match happening between like the idea of selling out and, and being a cre- like a cred band or somebody that was to be respected right. and then mainstream. And that's like, when, like, in fact, like you can kind of trace a lot of like the cultural stuff in Seattle to the, that show, the OC Oh, really? Because the OC happened, which was like, you know, as mainstream as it gets. Um, but one of the main characters on that show, he was like, all of his favorite bands were indie rock bands. So he had like a Death Cab poster on his wall and they were playing all these bands from Seattle and and, uh, and Portland and stuff that, and like BC, Canada um, on the show. And those, and then those bands all went on to get like, you know, Ford ads and stuff. <laughs> and so it was this thing where like, but those were like the cool, like really like respected bands decemberists and yeah. fleet foxes and that kind of era totally this is a band called the long winters that oh, yeah. i like a lot and and um tegan and sarah and the right. new pornographers and kind of like yeah. all that all that stuff right so when that started happening i just remember thinking like well even like maybe like indie rock isn't a thing like as an indie rock band you could like have a regional success but uh, I just basically I, ne- I just never thought it was possible. I just thought like you're either you know you live in LA and you make pop music or you have a freak Ford commercial as an indie band and that's like kind of the that's the extent of the music industry. As a kid that grew up in like rural Washington. Did you lose your way? Did you ever have one when you came around sleeping in the basement and the credit cards? Holding break top shotguns, just a fox dug down 
have a sense of even what making it or did you have a sense of a goal because that, that idea of selling out seems yeah. to imply that there is a something to sell there, there's a goal there's a point to all of this yeah. it always seemed interesting that what do you guys want do you, you do you want fame do you mm-hmm. want recognition do you want to make money at this or do you want obscurity um did you have a sense of what that what artists were after at that point or a, po- a purpose behind any of that that's a, that's a really good point. I mean, like to me, it always felt like, um, even as a kid, I never wanted to be rich and famous. Like, and that was not, that was a pretty frowned upon thing in the Northwest too. It was like success in general, that kind of, was, that level of success. Like you, right. like everybody was sort of, sort of like, the goal was always like to basically be like a college professor level of success where like people liked, people respected you and they, um, they saw what you did and its value and place in the world. But you didn't want to be like, you know, you didn't want to be a Kardashian or something like that was a ridiculous idea. Right. And so even like the idea of, of making it in music, the way that I thought about it was like either you're you two or you're starving. You know, it's like you're playing for six people in a coffee shop and, and there was no middle ground. And so for me, it was like, well, I don't, I don't really want to be you two. And also I don't think I could be you. like, that's not what I do. And there was no idea. Like there wasn't really a, the, the idea of like a blue collar art artist that, that happened like a lot later, like they're like with Peter the lion or, right. or, um, these people that were like, they're basically like either teacher salary or like dentists. Well, and it also, <laughs> I mean, functionally, a lot of that stuff seemed to have come out post 2006, 2007, 2008, when things like Kickstarter yes. and pledge music mm-hmm. and Indiegogo, there were these mechanisms where artists were because there was there had been the mp3.com mm-hmm. Napster moment of music is free mm-hmm. and the major labels are freaking out trying to stop that dam from breaking and they can't that was how that era of indie music that all of a sudden you could think well maybe these people will buy a t-shirt maybe they'll mm-hmm. book us to play right but that mechanism hadn't existed before that yeah, it was a democratization of music and it was right. like also a toppling of these like because that was the other thing too was that i and i and this is like even to this day it's like the thing that always is so has been so frustrating is whenever there's somebody in charge it's like there's somebody the gatekeeper idea right? right and i remember like as a kid being like well nobody at interscope or whatever is gonna want to put my you know weird storyteller song on a you know, with, they're not going to give me a major label deal or whatever. So I was like, I guess I just shouldn't try. Um, and then when that happened, I was like, oh, there's no, people can just find you and they can just like it. And there's a kind of an audience for everyone if you do it well. And that was like, that was kind of the first time where I, like these lights started going off. In fact, like when I started playing music full, I moved to California. I was, I was going to work for a booking agency in the music industry. That was going to be my job. Oh. And then that booking agency went away. And then I just like moved to California with some friends because like I just wanted to like go surfing basically, and I worked at a coffee shop and surfed all the time. And then I was making like four hundred bucks a week at Starbucks working there, and I was like, well, I can make this like 
pretty e that's like, I feel like I can make this money like doing something different. And then I started getting hired playing guitar in bands and oh. bass and other and touring bands. And then I was doing that for like years before I realized like, oh, I'm just, I'm just doing, I'm doing it. Like I would tour my own records and I would go and do it. I'd like play at camp sometimes. And then I would go and play bass or guitar in a band that was going on tour. And, and it was like two or three years into it where I was like, I, I, I was like, oh, I guess this is just what it is. Like I, I'm kind of doing it. Right. And that was part of that was also too like moving to places like California where there is industry and there are a lot of bands and there are a lot of shows and there's a lot of people doing cool stuff. We made plans for the world, thinking we stay the same. Burn like Moses bush where the leaves don't change. The lives were the dust. Dust in the light In the last summer You won't come back again And you go back again In the last summer Who were some of the bands that you were playing with that kind of you cut your teeth on? Uh, that I was playing with down there? Yeah. There was, I was in a band called Lowly Specs who the lead singer is actually like actually nashville songwriter of the year here in town his name is ethan hulse he's like oh, a, yeah. he was the lead singer in that band um yeah. i was a pretty bad bass player in that band but i bet you learned some stuff learned so much yeah and that actually the that all of the guys in that band are on doing really cool stuff now the four of us were kind of like i remember actually like the four of us one time we played at the fox theater which i think is in like orange or something and we were playing this private like event at the little room and all four of us went down and stood like on the big stage in the Fox theater. And we like, we all stood there and like, we all went to like where we would be standing or whatever. And we we're like, maybe one day we'll like do something like this, you know? And it's cool to see now like where everyone's gone on to do. Yeah. And, and like, I've played that, th I've, I opened a show at that theater since. And, you That's know, e Ethan, the singer is like, you know, he's got like a bunch of Grammy nominations and stuff. So it's, awesome. it's fun to see that stuff happen. Who else did you play with before you went solo? Um, a couple of them were like really, really weird bands that like uh, would play at like high schools and stuff. Mm -hmm. I did that for a little while. Um, there was one that was like doing Christian like worship music at high schools. Um, Interesting. It, which was a very, in fact, like a lot of my songs that have dealt with like kind of evangelicalism and American like, especially like right wing culture and how that plays with um, like kind of christianity came from watching that happen because it was like i'd be playing guitar or whatever or bass and we'd be like basically they'd book uh this this band to come play you know at their high school and it's like these massive christian high schools in la and orange county and up in the bay area and uh, also too like uh, a lot of those people were really lovely people and 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 um really great hearts and a lot of them like taught me a lot but a lot of it was not that way Right. And it was really dark, but they would like pay a lot of money and, and to this one guy specifically, who's uh, still a friend of mine. Uh, and we would go and do these things. So that was part of it. It was like, and then the other side of it was playing, like it was this total split in my life. Cause one half of it was playing like these really conservative Christian high schools and camps. And then the other half was like going on tour with like indie rock bands that were like, just on like doing pounds of blow every night and, tripping on mushrooms on stage and stuff. So it was like, 
It was a very unique time. And then time having to sit life. there and go, I wonder which of these is more messed up. <laughs> right? Well, that's actually a, a, the last record. I have a song called Sunday Morning, which uh-huh. is where I realized, like, oh. I was oh, thinking that's probably where that came yeah, from. Yeah. <laughs> which is me saying that, like, oh my gosh, my, my friends that are on drugs, they are acting the same way as my friends that are, like, yeah. at leading church camp because it's like this endorphin rush and like, mm-hmm. aren't these supposed to be different things? And, um, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, but there's this author I like named Neil Gaiman. Who's like a, yeah, yeah. your fan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and he, uh, he said this thing that I just think is so fascinating. He said that like ideas come from confluence, like two rivers coming together. Mm-hmm. And I love that a lot because you know, it's like, that's what I found is that like, if you've got idea a, which is its own thing. And then you've got idea B was, which is its own thing that's like where the new idea comes from. And it's like, and I I pay attention to that a lot. If it's like, this thing feels like this thing, I wonder why that is. Like when you, when you sense connections in the world, it's like, why do these things feel the same? It's because there's a, there's a third thing there that you can find. I chose all the right songs, played all the right chords, till the kids still weren't singing. Praise the Lord. In the past, yeah. back just again a little bit to when you first start writing songs yeah. is it picking up a guitar and kind of emulating some of those pacific northwest songwriters is mm-hmm. it is it playing in indie rock bands up in the northwest what mm-hmm. what was the first kind of impetus or, or artists or that you were saying okay I, I want to actually do this i think i kind of missed that yeah yeah well i had a i still have like a a pretty significant learning disability like a really pretty se- severe add and so as a kid, I was just kind of like off the walls. And my mom, who was kind of a genius, she figured out that like the only way that she could get me to not be a giant nuisance or like <laughs> menace to society was to find little places for me to disappear into, little worlds that I could disappear into. Because I had a really active imagination. And so like we would go to the library every Sunday and she'd get like eight books for me and I read all eight of them. Like these like, you know, you know, like the Hardy boys and the boxcar children and all that, like these little, these like uh, mystery novels for kids. And I would just pour through those. And it was actually to a point where like, it was a problem because I would like, I would read every series that there was for kids. And then she figured out that if she gave me a guitar, I could kind of like, I would just go and do that for hours. And so, I mean, like I, I put a song into a, into like a poetry contest when I was in the fourth or fifth grade. I mean, like I, there's never really been a time where I haven't been writing songs just because it was like kind of a place that my mom could send me where I wouldn't be a problem. And then I started a band when I was in middle school with like a drummer and a, and a guy that played piano and we like played Wonderwall at an assembly. And it was just, it's kind of just always been a part of my life. And, and a lot of it was that I would write these, it's kind of, it's interesting to watch the the way that it's gone, but it was always narrative based. Like all of my songs were stories um, because that's the way that my brain worked with books was like, you have a start and you have a character and you have a setting and then, you know, there's a conflict or whatever and then it resolves. Well, and as Gaiman was talking about with those confluence, poetry is 
language and music kind of coming together and creating something new, even, mm-hmm. even if there's not melody involved, right. there's a musicality to poetry. So it would make totally. sense to me that your brain would, would go towards poetry yeah. and then you would express poetry through mm-hmm. music. It's a new thing, but even totally. as a little kid, your brain is decoding the world in a certain way. So, well, and the thing that I liked about poetry too, which was something that like, I actually ended up like studying all this stuff in college later. But, um, the thing that I liked about it as a kid was that it didn't have to mean it did it, like that. The, the musicality of the words and the cadence to it and the, um, the imagery imagery has always been really important to me. Like if I can't see something, it's, it loses me pretty quick. Mm-hmm. It's actually why I like books and stuff more than I like movies. Cause I like, if the movie is like showing me what it's supposed to look like and I'm like, I don't think it should look like that. Right. And then, and that's harder for me to follow. So, um, with poetry, it was always like, it didn't, I could read a poem, you know, and, and I could get to the end of it and it, it was actually really freeing because it wasn't, I didn't have to follow it. Like I did the Lord of the Rings or something. It was just, it was just supposed to make you feel some way. And I get to the end of it. And I was like, how, why am I supposed why do I feel this way? Why did it make me feel this way? And, and it was like, because these words mean, you know, like these words mean loss and these words mean discovery right. and that, and even if I don't know what the person's saying, I can feel it. I, and, and that was important for me to say like, okay, if I can take this idea of narrative that I'm getting from like literature and I can, and I can figure out how to invoke meaning and feeling, um, in my words, like that's, that was really where it all started. And, and the music kind of followed that to be honest, it always has for me. to text me some more Maybe just one more month Keep your words to myself for a while Blindside Deep water runs Guess I still have your words if I can Gotta feel free, I suppose that Cause I can talk alright You can talk alright We can talk all night Around the time I think you first came onto my radar, I think you had just walked Mm-hmm. 600 miles I think maybe your mom had just passed away yep. recently and then you went on a long walk mm-hmm. and then a lot of songs came out of that it's been a while since I heard that am I remembering yeah that that's right? exactly right so yeah my mom passed away and she was as I for obvious reasons she was like kind of the one that got me through my whole adolescence and young adulthood because she could find ways for me to succeed when I wasn't matched well for school and right. and everything else. And so when she passed away, it was a pretty life-altering moment because... And how old were you when she passed? 26, okay. I think. Something yeah. like that. And um, you were already in California at this mm-hmm. point? Okay. Yeah. I mean, when she, she was six, so I was like kind of going back and forth from the Northwest a bunch at the okay. end there, um, which was interesting because like to go back to seasons, 
uh, it was always in the, I always came back in the fall. And so it was like the first time where it felt like my life was changing yeah. where like, it felt like a chapter was changing. Cause it was like, I could feel the air getting cold and I could yeah. watch the frost coming in the morning and stuff. So yeah, she passed away. And then what I did is there's this road called the El Camino Real, which is, yeah. it's the King's road when the Spanish kind of colonized California. And it, uh, it goes from this guy named Junipero Serra, who is a Franciscan monk, and he built all the original missions in California. So a lot of the towns are like even named after his missions and stuff. Yeah. And they're all 20 miles from each other. So it starts in like Tijuana and it goes up to San Francisco. And um, the missions are all 20 miles apart because that's a day's walk. So it was a walking road, like the Pilgrim's Road, uh, you know, um, in Spain. It's the same idea, but it's been paved over. It was paved over a hundred years ago and nobody's walked it since. And so I had this idea to like, to do that kind of in her memory to like reset my life. And, um, so I walked from San- I didn't do it exactly. Like I kind of went off route and stuff, but it doesn't even really exist anymore. So it doesn't matter right. totally. But I went from, uh, from San Diego to San Francisco and walked basically along the freeways and the beach and stuff for, it took me 40 days, which was an accident. Um, it was totally an accident. I like didn't plan that. And I wrote my first record on that. A lot of my first record on that walk. I had some of the songs already, but, and it dealt with all these themes, a lot, a lot of dealing with, uh, with God and with, um, you know, with, uh, being let down by institutions and, um, and loss and, and moving forward and all these, all these types of things. So, I did that walk and then it was, that was actually like, cause I, I was, um, you know, I was playing in other bands and then I was touring, but I was playing like tiny little coffee shops and stuff wherever somebody would let me play. And when I was on that walk, John Foreman from Switchfoot heard about it. And then he, he thought it was cool. Cause that's the kind of thing that he likes. <laughs> <laughs> and he asked me to go on tour and yeah, he asked me to go on tour. And that was the first kind of like time that anyone had taken notice of me at all. And then John asked me to go on tour, and then I got a, a number of different record labels interested. Down the coast, down in little Mexico Is where I hide from your disease My little sister moved back home from the city And it rained told me dying is not what people think Not like the endings in the books we love to read It's more like finding that the sky will meet the sea With no line in between I still So was there always a kind of a spiritual background happening in your life? Was was that also a part of your childhood and your relationship with your parents and stuff? Sort of. So neither of my parents uh, grew up that way. Um, my dad, my parents are really interesting people. My my dad was a trapeze artist in the circus, and wow. my and like a ski- and that's not a metaphor. That's like he an was action. literally a fly- <laughs> he was a flyer on the trapeze. That's yeah. fantastic. And my mom was this like you know they they met 
they were, my dad was working for an ambulance company. My mom was a nurse and they met like giving this guy CPR on a gurney. And then they went rock climbing the next day and did like a six pitch rock climb. And my mom rode her bike from Seattle to Boston alone when she was 22. So they're just like these like really, uh, adventurous kind of like they're, I mean, they're really incredible. Like both of my parents had their dive masters, scuba licenses, their sailing captain's licenses and their pilot's licenses. So <laughs> oh my goodness, uh, it was a very like it, that my parents are not like a, a safe people. Right. I, I like they're, they're wild people. Um, and also like it, you wouldn't think so. You know, my dad's like a superintendent of a school district now, or as he was until he retired, he's a quiet guy. And my mom was a very thoughtful, peaceful person, but they had this like fire of like adventure in them and always had. And so both of them, my mom actually like met this traveling, like evangelist guy in Australia. She was riding her bike across the outback and she met this guy in the outback and he told her about Jesus. And she was like, this doesn't sound like anybody else has ever talked about Jesus. Cause it's like this thing that's full of like bigness and my dad, basically then she married my dad and it took my dad a few years and then he was kind of like, this seems cool. And so it, it, was, it was like, it's basically, it's a faith that is extremely separated from everything that I kind of ended up growing up in, which is this like evangelicalism and, 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 um, so yeah, so I grew up with it also like we were, we, when we lived in Haiti, when I was a little kid working at this hospital that was part of a Methodist mission. Mm-hmm. So in some ways we were like kind of missionaries but not really because like there was a war going on and my mom just worked in the emergency room and my dad like kept the generator going. I came to this town to escape my pain all end up leaving the same way that I came Cause I'm always blindest Surrounded by friends The comfort and the shelter that I find in the end Cause I'll be waiting When we're older And all my motives are Showing shoulder And I know I can't find The things for which I'm searching And the places that I'm I still have to go it kind of seems like, in in some ways, the the kind of Jesus movement that you hear about from the yeah. '60s and stuff—the radical, life-altering, just when it's apart from institutions and mm-hmm. politics and power and lifestyle stuff and culture wars. When it's people just making these radical decisions to lay down their life and follow. In a very dangerous path, which sounds like something your parents were predisposed to do because For of their sure. personality. They were doing this dangerous thing that was radical, totally not a culture war kind of comfortable thing, yeah. which is to go with the flow of you know. So, so that that's pretty amazing. That seems like a huge blessing to have that in yeah. your background. So, but it you was, say at some yeah. point it kind of you're saying it, you found yourself kind of in a more institutional sort of setting. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it, that's the thing that's so interesting about it is that it's like, you know, it's a down, it's like, like all rivers sort of live, like <laughs> lead to the sea a little bit, you know, it's, it's this thing where like, it's human nature for one thing, you know, um, to sort of like gather in places that are, that are comfortable and uh, places that are like institutionalized and like systematized. And, and, and a lot of those times the system sort of like eclipses everything that was exciting about it to begin with, you know, 
So that's, that's kind of like what I, what I found was that like when it, that like the wildness and bigness of the thing that I think drew my mom specifically to it. Um, I actually just like wrote a book about a lot of this stuff in my, my walk and stuff um, that's getting published next year, but oh, wow. which is one of the reasons why it's all like kind of right yeah, on the end front of, my, of my, yeah, front of my mind. But um, what's, is a book have a title yet? Yeah, it's called Where the Waves Turn Back. It's about my, just about like walking along the beach where the waves are flipping back and yeah. going out, back out to the ocean again. So I think that like, actually like my lit, my teenage years when we, we just like went to church, you know, I was like, my mom was like, well, I guess we found Jesus. And now what you do is you go to church and then you like go to the retreat or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and those were actually like, inc- for me, it was like, I was like, this is cool. Cause I have a learning disability and I can run around with other kids and like, you know, like throw Nerf balls at each other or whatever. And my mom was like in turmoil. Right. And, I, and I remember watching that happening where like we would drive home and my mom would be quizzing my dad on the sermon or whatever. And, and she would be mad about it. And she'd be like, I don't understand why this is like, because I think she just was sensing the schism in herself between like the wildness that drew her to it. And then the safeness of the place that they landed. And so, um, you know, my dad would just sort of be like, I don't know what to tell you. It's just like, I guess, it's, I guess it's just right there in the Bible type thing, you know? And, and so there was this conflict happening there. Um, which she fought that until she died. You know, she was like, in fact, like the pastor that did her memorial service was like, he basically said from the pulpit, like it was in a gym, but he was like, I, he's like, I, I know he's like, I think a lot of you guys don't think my mom's name was Jeannie. He's like, I know a lot of you guys probably don't think that Jeannie was a Christian, <laughs> like kind of calling them all out type oh, wow. of thing. Cause she was like pretty, you know, she was like kind of a, like a, a burr in the saddle a little bit you know she like was not going like quietly into that good night and i think that was something that i was that's something that has been instilled in me a little bit We're going to step away from this conversation for just a bit. Bruce is warming up the True Tunes jukebox, and we'll have a special new album for you right after this quick break. Hi, I'm Bill Keith, and I'm a Patreon backer of True Tunes. The show is really important to me, and I know that the money I contribute each month goes a long way toward helping with the cost associated with producing and distributing a show of this caliber. And yes, the rewards are cool too. We get early access to new episodes that we can download in a higher quality audio format, as well as invites to exclusive backers-only Zoom hangs and some special swag and stuff. There are multiple levels you can join at, and every gift helps. Check out patreon.com slash truetunes for more information on how to join me and the rest of the Patreon tribe. And thanks for considering a gift. It really will make a difference. True Tunes is on the road. I've been to Indiana, California, Tennessee, Iowa, and Illinois so far, and we are currently looking at opportunities around the country. 
These conversations have been a lot of fun, with me bringing a turntable and some records and a guitar, and often finding artists or other special guests to join me. I've also done songwriting workshops, music business clinics, and even some conversations about how we can slow ourselves down and listen to music more carefully, more thoughtfully, and yes, more spiritually. So, from auditoriums to small groups, there's kind of something for everyone. You can follow all of the action at truetunes.com slash events. And if you would be interested in having me come speak in your neck of the woods, drop me a line at jjt at truetunes.com and let me know. I'm also excited to be aligning with the Porchlight Network for house shows. Porchlight is a growing network of house show venues around the country, and you can learn more at porchlight.art. So, for house shows, look me up at Porchlight. For schools, venues, churches, or other opportunities, just connect with me directly. And hopefully, I'll be seeing you out there in person. raving about young Madison Cunningham since we started this conversation three years ago. And if you've been listening to our weekly Spotify mix, you've heard something from her just about every week since I started pulling it together even before we launched the show. Her combination of innovative, melodic sensibility, lyrical introspection, guitar prowess, and an ability to somehow sound both incredibly hip and somehow anchored to the best traditions of classic rock, blues, and folk has enchanted me as a fan, challenged me as an artist, and thrilled me as someone committed to digging for signs of life in a darkening culture. Although Cunningham has released a steady stream of singles and EPs and has appeared as a collaborator with numerous artists, she hasn't released a full-length album since her proper debut, 2019's Who Are You Now? That album was nominated for a Best Americana Album Grammy and made my best of 2019 list. Well, I land for the city with the strength and the will to compete. 
did nab a Grammy nomination for Best Folk Album for the expanded edition of her Wednesday EP, a collection of brilliant covers by artists like Radiohead, Jeff Buckley, The Beatles, and Rufus Wainwright. They hung up a sign in our old town If you live it up, you'll never live it down So she left Mario son just like a bullet leaves a gun With her charcoal eyes and her Monroe hips She went and took that California trip Oh, the moon was gold in her hair like wind She said, don't look back, just come on, Jim Now comes Revealer, a collection she has been unveiling slowly over the last several months. It feels like forever since we've had a full-length Madison Cunningham album to dive into, and with music this enveloping and rewarding, that is exactly what albums are for. Revealer is a rich, challenging, sophisticated, and virtuosic collection that is never ponderous, never self-important, and just indulgent enough to make me glad to own a good set of headphones. The album's opening cut pulls us right in with an arpeggiated chord riff that instantly reinforces what is rapidly becoming a defining aspect of Cunningham's trademark guitar style. She blends rhythmic and melodic elements into cascading layers and then allows sinewy melodies to escape in ways that recall jazz jams, prog rock improvisation, and psychedelic wonderment as much as they do anything in the Americana or folk rock realm. Some research reveals that while the amazing Tyler Chester may be sitting in the producer's chair on this track, Cunningham herself is playing every instrument, every note, every vocal track, and she composed the song on her own.
lyric cleverly and revealingly confesses to the sort of upside-down world a young, full-time musician often calls home, and suggests that for those with ears to hear, this set of songs may offer a more personal and, yes, revealing perspective than Cunningham's previous work has. incredible to hear the kinds of guitar parts Cunningham can turn into riffs. She is an incredible guitar player in the same way artists such as Lindsey Buckingham or Mark Knopfler are exceptional in that they use their dexterity with the instrument to find new ways to play it. It's not that they can't shred. I'm sure Madison could bury just about any jam band slinger if given a chance, but that doesn't seem to excite her nearly as much as finding a widely melodic phrase that strays far beyond the confines of a standard minor pentatonic scale, playing it with enough of a rhythmic pattern for it to become a hook, and then hanging a cascading melody around that hook like Garland. On Hospital, the riff is solid enough to land on classic rock radio if given the chance, whereas on Anywhere, the riff and the jazzy rhythm behind it is more akin to something one might imagine Joni Mitchell playing if she was backed up by Stuart Copeland for a gig. Any day now. Revealer packs a ton of range into its considerable grooves as well. 
The emotional centerpiece of this set is clearly Life According to Rachel, a gorgeous homage to a lost grandmother. It's not if darling, it's Besides having one of the best song titles, lyrical concepts, and opening rhythmic riffs ever, Your Hate Could Power a Train stretches the edge of prog rock alt-pop to the breaking point, serving the underlying lyrical theme of the unhealthy use of power to dominate and control others perfectly. Listen for the Jeff Lynne-esque break in the manic clouds when the protagonist declares her freedom from the relentless momentum of the bully's abusive toxic power. to see the music press and industry try to comprehend and categorize Cunningham's sound. Is it indie pop, Americana, alternative rock, folk? Probably yes. Trying to limit an artist as imaginative, talented, and willing to defy easy branding as Cunningham to one genre will likely require more hyphens than a journalist should use without a special permit. Fortunately, these days, people can just listen for themselves and decide what they think it is.
and I'm not sure to whom I can compare Madison Cunningham when it comes to the comprehensive nature of her skill and artistry. She is an exceptionally imaginative and accomplished guitar player and composer. She is a wonderful vocalist, one of the most expressive new singers to come on the indie music scene in the last several decades. To top it all off, she integrates all of this seamlessly, incorporating a hard-won level of spiritual, emotional, and cultural perspective that most of the best songwriters don't manage to approach until they have reached their 40s or 50s. Madison Cunningham is 26. Honestly, friends, she really is something special. Like most soon-to-be classics, Revealer gets better with repeated listens. It's perfectly enjoyable at a surface level, but dig in and notice the subtle ear candy and the carefully crafted lyrical gems tucked between the grooves. When it all becomes sensible and love The jukebox is making that melty smell again, so we better let her cool off a bit. We'll get back to our conversation with Tyson Motzenbacher right after this. Hello, my name's Rob, and I'm one of the Patreon backers of the True Tunes podcast. I'm honored to invite you to join me in support of True Tunes by signing up on their email list. I know email is often annoying, but by being on the list, I get notified when new episodes drop and when new articles get posted at truetunes.com. Sometimes, John even sends out short notes and gives away records and swag and stuff. Super cool. But really, the point is that by staying directly connected, I know that they don't have to pay Facebook or anyone else in order for me to hear from them, and that's important. They don't send out too many emails either, and I'm always happy to get them. So really, it would be helpful if you'd join me over here. You can find the sign-up link on the front page at truetunes.com. Oh, and don't forget to add John's email address, jjt at truetunes.com, to your contacts so that the emails don't get caught in your spam filter. And if you have any feedback on the show or questions, you can email him and he'll get back to you eventually. Thanks for listening. Back to the well with Tyson Motzenbacher.
I want to kind of touch on the last record a little bit since mm. we didn't get a chance to talk about that and it feels like it might get skipped over because yeah. it came out right when the world shut down. Mm-hmm. That record became a companion to me. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of time walking in a really lovely park right by yeah. my house here in East Nashville. Um, and there's a big difference, I think, in the in the songs on that record. You seem to be tackling things, um, more issues. Uh, I'm not saying that this is not a critique, yeah. just an observation that that record, you seem to be noticing some things and commenting on yeah. some stuff. Um, how did your did you find your voice on that set of songs and and um, how did that project kind of sit and then you had two years to sit with it wondering yeah what's going on <laughs> that know? record's really wild to look back on because um, and and by the way that yeah. record the title of it is called someday I'll make it all up to you yeah <laughs> which I always was kind of like well what did you do <laughs> my friend always says my friend always says the question is it what's it yeah right uh, he, he always asks what is it. Um, that that record so is really interesting now because if I look at it, it does feel it came out on Valentine's Day, twenty twenty, so like right before yeah. things happened, and I was on tour uh, that whole time until we got sent home, and it's really an an interesting thing because it came out before. Like, if you listen to that record, it feels like a record that's about COVID. Exactly. But it came out before COVID. Right. I mean, even like I miss the old days too. Came out like which is a song about racism. Yeah. It came out, uh, you know, like six weeks before George Floyd. Right. So, um, and we were actually on tour in Minneapolis like a week before that happened. I miss the old days too. Eastwood, James Dean, Mickey Dora's Wild Blue Pacific. Sammy Davis missed his White House visit Falling in love with the wrong color missus Yeah, I miss the old days too Tommy Smith's Olympic one-handed salute Well, I never felt the need to rise up, did you? Maybe everybody doesn't miss the old days like we do There's a song on that record called Fentanyl about, like, the opioid epidemic. What I Maybe there's still something in there That I just can't find To match how I feel about you Leaving us behind Beside the way I think you hurt too bad for too long Yeah, I know you suffered too much chance to talk I want a second chance for you Maybe you'd find Jesus or a 12 step way through I want a second chance to talk I want a second chance for you 
find some help when I just never helped you. But there's no goodbye calls with fentanyl. It's really tackling some things that are that are pretty that were really heavy topics over COVID, you know, or like or like hiding from things being scary and. You know, there's a song called Highline about being in New York and how it's scary because there's so many people and then New York shuts down. And then shuts down and it's empty and it was just chilling. Yeah. I played it a lot on our, Mm -hmm. we do a Spotify weekly mix and Mm -hmm. have for years. And Mm -hmm. those songs were on there almost every week for that whole two years. Walk you to the high line, a new day is coming. So hold me, keep me coming back. Listen when I tell you that I'm not worried. Darkness is it just an absence? Walk you to the high line, a new day is coming. A lot of people are saying what you're saying, like I walked into parks and listened to that. Um, like there's a line in this in a song called Autumn Love, which is about my wife. This is like, it's a feeling I get that we're not there yet, but we can stay here for a while. And it's all about like this pause and like that's about like being in the Northwest and fall hits and there's this time of like waiting. It's just like waiting it out. Like we're just gonna hunker down and wait. So for to me, that's what that meant. And then COVID happened. It's like well, that's what all that's what we did that whole time. Is we just right. waited. We're not there, but we can wait. It's a feeling I get. That we're not done yet We can stay here for a while You are doing stuff that's pretty asymmetrical at times. It's still at its core confessional, reflective, Mm -hmm. singer-songwriter music. It's taking this different kind of tone. So tell me how your songwriting and your your approach to songwriting has evolved. How do you approach this uh, this craft? Um, I think like I always I always start a song with like I basically have like this these notebooks and stuff where I'm just like writing down, you know, I'll like write down a, a phrase or whatever, and it's like and I'll and I'll I'll kind of I'll, I'll kind of like develop these little places in my brain, you know, like I can tell you where every single one of my songs takes place physically. I can kind of like watch it form. Let me think of an example. There's a song on the new record that's called "Time Is One Way Mirror" that took me like took me like seven months to write. And wow. the way that I wrote that song was I had this I had this really clear vision of like myself as an adult, like as a grown man, sitting in a dark room, and I'm surrounded by all my childhood toys. So like I can remember like seeing like you know this Lego set that I loved and there you, 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 like these things that you forget. I don't know if you've ever liked like my you know my dad um, you know he got remarried and he moved and he made me like go through all my old stuff like come get your stuff come yeah. get your shit yeah. out of my house basically. <laughs> right. and and I looked through it and I was like, this is incredible because these are things that have like very significant emotional ties to me yeah. like these little Lego guys that I had names for and stuff you know like oh my oh my gosh like. And, and I just saw all my, all these toys like around me. And then, uh, this, uh, a friend of mine whose uh, whose dad 
is one of these like who's the guy in um in uh, napoleon dynamite uncle rico that's yeah. just talking about how like how bitching he used to be yeah, I could like throw i could throw a football, football over, over that, that mountain, mountain. <laughs> yeah. he's one of these guys right that's like stuck in the past yeah stuck in the past and he's and he's walking and, he, and he's and he's bitter about how the future turned out and i'm caught between the possibility of childhood and this bitter older version of what that can become and i knew that i wanted to end it with there was this gym at Washington State University, which is the college in the town where I grew up in. And um, there was this gym there uh, that we could sneak into. And it was a gymnastics room. So it had like the, pe- the, pe- the mats and the pummel horses and the parallel bars and stuff. And, you know, we would go in there and run around and do flips off the stuff into the mats. And there was a, um, there was a one-way mirror on the wall so that like the judges could go in there and observe the gymnasts without them knowing. Oh. Um, really what I'm doing is I'm, I'm just sitting there playing the piano and I'm, and it's just like, I'm just uh, in a, in this place. I'm just like, Oh, here I am. And the first one was sitting on the ground surrounded by my Legos. And then the second one was, I'm in, I'm in that room. Cause you could get in there. It was kind of, it was usually locked, but sometimes you could get in and it was, uh, you know, in the belly of this giant gym on the college campus and like down like three flights of stairs. And so I had this like vision of myself now, watching my high school self in there playing on these mats and what would I want to say to that person? You know, like what would I want to tell them? There's so many things, you know, I, I, like, I think I was thinking a lot when I was making this record about those, like the, like no regrets tattoos. Yeah. I was like, how can you have no regrets? Like I understand not <laughs> lingering on it, but if, right. but of course you have regrets. Yeah. In fact, like, I think that like sometimes like that, that mentality of like no regrets is like, because if you allow yourself to, it is a tidal wave of trouble for your for your current per- person. It's like, and I just imagine myself like screaming at this mirror to tell myself like, don't do this, like don't do that, like um, do this, you know. And I'm like yelling at it, and that person's just in there doing somersaults. Yeah. My my high school self with my stupid haircuts like doing somersaults on the mats, and I'm like desperately trying to convey something to him. And that I think comes from being the kid that I was, which is like, I just read books all the time. And I had this incredible, like this incredibly like vivid and annoying, uh, imagination. So tired of fighting. Stared in my hands all the way from the airport. Like Benedict Arnold was living inside. Maybe he does. And maybe I am. I want to go back and just shout through the void to change course But there's no one there that can hear it Cause time is a one-way mirror Time is a one-way mirror This album has so many elements of what are kind of nostalgia mm-hmm. looking back through that one-way mirror but also very um happy but at the same time there's a darkness mm-hmm. like um wendy darling my gosh i i love this song and the idea that it's the old men that say the decades don't pass slow i'm yeah. thinking are you not an old man at this yeah. point or are you kind of counting yourselves and are you yeah. are you feeling a little bit of your oats at this point
Hide from the World is one of my favorite songs this, of this whole year. <laughs> I can't. I'm obsessed with this song, and I can relate to it as someone who's comfortable dealing with crowds and being in a mm. crowd and managing yeah. a crowd, but also somebody who essentially needs to be alone sometimes. Yeah. But you take it and you're being very honest about how alone you need to be. I want to hang in Snoopy's doghouse and he should be there too. Make leave the Red Baron and kick it with the Charlie Brown crew. I want to go in Oscar's trash can down on Sesame Street. A guy in such a bad mood could really understand me. seem to be doing something with nostalgia here Mm -hmm. did you set off at the beginning to say i'm going to do a whole batch of songs about this or were you just writing songs and later looked and saw this pattern kind of emerging i knew i wanted to make a record about adulthood um and that was sort of where it all stemmed from i mean even like the title is milk teeth which is you know it's our baby teeth and it's the first things we lose on the like journey towards uh our eventual demise or adulthood in the middle there um I am a nostalgic person, like by, by to a fault, certainly, you know, I'm, I'm sentimental and I'm nostalgic. And I think that there, part of that is because I think that like, there are little vignettes of our past that are things that we should keep with us. You know, they're like important to who we are. And I think that like the looking backwards into ourselves is a good way to capture the things that mean the most to us, you know, like why it is this. I'm trying to think of a good example, but like there's tons of my music where it's like this little, this little scene of me like riding in the back of a pickup truck full of pillows or something. So why is that important to me? You know, it's important because like it was wild and it was safe and it was young and it was moving on. And it was a moment in time that was very specifically uh, and very clearly passing. So, um, that's always something that I've done. And I think, I, I, I think it's, it's good to look backwards and to note why you felt the way that you felt and why that's important. And, um, there's a German term that basically means that nostalgia is uh, a mental illness. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. For one thing, it's because it's a lie. You know, like there's no, none of that stuff's real. I mean, it is real, but it's also like as you get older, um, you invent these versions of the past that are romanticized and are right. uncomplicated, you know, and, yeah. and, right. and, and um, they feel simple and they feel like there becomes this pining, this yearning for it. And it's like, first of all, you can't have it again and second of all it wasn't even real then so i, I just kept I, I kind of was asking myself like as an adult now why am i this way and i think uh what i kind of ended up landing on was uh that definition of insanity that's like ins- insanity is trying the same thing over and over and expecting different results i think like the two different versions of adulthood are people that like kind of embody responsibility in a way that's really beautiful you know people that care for their community and their families and their friends and um are not like slipping past the things that are needed and called upon of them and then there's the other version that is but and then at the same time a lot of the times those people have lost the wonder of childhood you know they're 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 doing the thing that needs to be done and they're leaned upon and they're loved but they're not able to like discover 
things the way that they were. And then there's the people that are able to kind of have that wonder, but they're just like, um, they're just sort of like weights upon the people around them. You know, they, they, they haven't embodied the beauty of adulthood. And I wanted to find a way to like, how do we do both? Like, how do we, how do we like become a person that is reliable and beneficial and, um, and like, like basically worthy of like the weight of adulthood without losing all of that wonder and like the ability to discover and, 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 um, you know, feel new things. In the old downtown, in the vacant houses, empty lots filled with wine flowers. You put a plywood bed in a Dodge Ram tradesman and parked it outside the American Legion. A song like Carlo Rossi, mm-hmm. um, I was thinking, okay, so you got cheap wine, mm-hmm. you got these winsome, uh, nostalgic memories about stuff that's pretty reckless, you yeah. know, uh, and also another just ridiculously catchy melody. Mm-hmm. Are you doing some subversion with these lyrics where it's like you're tricking us into feeling winsome about these things, but then there's also kind of a dark lining to this stuff? Totally. I think, uh, well, for one thing too, like I just I think that like good art in general like doesn't behave very well. You know, there's like a there has to be an, an edge to it or it's just like I think that's the case for pop music too. It's like if there's not something that's a little bit twisted and broken in it, it's like it's not really saying anything very important. Right. Um obviously that's a generalization, but well, it's the difference between art and decoration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah, is totally. It, is it just wallpaper or is it a painting? You know, it's like there's, it's not yeah. that there's anything wrong with decoration. It's just like, what are you trying to accomplish? I think that's so good. I'm going to use that art and decoration. That's really good. Um, in the case of like Carlo Rossi, what you're, uh, that song is like, like I said, like there's a place for all my songs or whatever. And that one takes like place in Central America, like when there's riots happening. Yeah. So, um, you know, you're like, it's this this young couple and they're clearly like in love and they're having a great time you know they're smoking cigarettes and drinking cheap wine and breaking into hotel rooms and hiding in the trees and stuff and then meanwhile it's like like the line in that that song would that kind of turn the corner for me is and it says like it says like your head head back to hell with the ambulance it's like these people that are that are like having an awesome time and an ambulance drives by and they like they're singing along with the siren yeah. while they're partying you know and it's like, well, if an ambulance is driving by, then somebody got hurt, right. you know, like, and maybe like you shouldn't be having such a good time. And it's like this, this couple is having the time of their lives and like the world is burning down. Um, and also that whole song is, is inspired by a John Steinbeck a novel where they, um, called Cannery Row. And it's, that gets to this thing we talk about all the time with songwriters that 
this generality or universality and specificity. We can get to these little bitty details yeah. and then find that it becomes really relevant to a lot of people yes. because we can all relate to, to these specific things because we're all so similar. So similar. Well, and for me, like that was the fun thing about that song specifically was that I got married during COVID. So it was this chaotic time. Like my wife was blocked on it. She's Canadian. So she was like locked on the other side of the Canadian border. And my mu- the music business is not existent. And I don't know if I have a living anymore. And I don't know if anything exists. And meanwhile, we're like sending memes to each other <laughs> and laughing about it. And it's sort of like having a great time. Like we're in love and we're like, but but it's a it's a nightmare. And we have to like figure out how to pay for lawyers and how to get her across the border and how to have a wedding. And it was terrifying and also like, and I think like that split of being like, so does this mean that the world, that like our moment in time isn't terrible? It's like, no, it is. And is it also like beautiful? Mm-hmm. We're Delos Muertos skeletons. Head back to how the ambulance. Climb up the banyan route. Here comes the Smokies too. Tell everyone to go Are you just writing this stuff by ear or did you, for instance, hide from the world, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, you're changing modality. Mm-hmm. You're going from a major key to either a diminished or a minor. Like mm-hmm. even in the scale you're using, you're changing the tonality or the modality between the verse and the chorus. The the notes you're using, you're sliding around. It's almost referencing things like Steely Dan mm-hmm. in terms of going into jazzy stuff. Where are you getting this vocabulary? Because it's it's definitely next level, I think, when it comes mm-hmm. to sophistication. Um, and what instrument are you writing this stuff on? It doesn't sound like songs that are written on a guitar, for mm-hmm. instance. Yeah, that's interesting that you referenced Steely Dan because I, especially the past few years, like I've revisited a bunch, actually the, the music my dad liked. I actually just did a podcast with my friend about where we unpacked Yacht Rock for like three hours. <laughs> um, it's so lame and so awesome. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it, I actually wrote and recorded the record twice. And not, I, re- I recorded it twice. So I like, I have this little studio in town that's like a, in the steeple of this old church. And we have, there's actually some pretty great stuff in there. But a lot of it is written on, um, like I found a whole bunch of really weird old keyboards and synthesizers at this thrift store. They're all like 30 bucks each. And I just like loaded this place up with these old keyboards that barely work. Some of them I had to like pull them apart to get them to like even play. There's some songs that are guitar for sure. There's probably like, probably like five songs that are written on guitar or like probably four songs on guitar and like three on piano. And then where the idea started there. But then a lot of it's on those, um, on those old keyboards and drum machines and stuff too. 
Like Windy Darling, for instance, is like a rock band song. So it's like that started with like a drum machine thing. And then that like doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. And then the, that little hook part. So. Oh, man. And that that little sampled horn kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Just that simple little sound. Yeah. That just takes you to like 1984. Yeah. And then it's gone again. It mm-hmm. just like pops in and then it's gone again. It pops in. It's so well placed. Those little sounds, little ear yeah. candy. Never enough to distract from the composition, mm-hmm. but certainly enough to to add color in ways that it's just over and over on my headphones. I'm just it keeps me from getting tired of it. Yeah, I just can't stop listening to it. I, I'm glad to hear that. I mean, like the whole that I I also have to like. I, so I wrote the whole I I recorded the whole record in my studio and it was like. And so all the all the movement, like all that weird modality stuff, and like the, there's like lots of key changes on the record yeah. and stuff, and even like most of the hooks and the parts were written. But uh, I found this kid uh, who was in. I have, to, I have to give credit to this person because at least half of the record is due to him. But it's this. He's like 20. How old was he when I met him? He's probably like 23 years old. And he lives in Orange County. His name is Nathan Semino. I have his. I was going to ask you who this yeah, kid is. He's so he, he's so important to this process. In fact, he would hate that I'm telling people this, but I, um, he's he's a producer. But I convinced him to run front of house for these shows. So he's oh, really? here right now. Actually, he's he's not a front of house engineer, but I just was like trying to get him to come on tour because I love him. And he was like, I'm never doing front of house again. But he's running sound for us tonight oh, in fantastic. Nashville. Um, but yeah, he's, he's like 23, and I heard this record that he made. Um, this band called Baseball Game. Uh, who I also stole their lead singer to be my guitar player for this tour, but they're <laughs> well done. Um, I just somebody sent it to me, and I was like, it was like production-wise, I was like, I'd never heard anything like it. What he was making, it's it's it feels so new to me, and like also timeless, but like just like there's a there's like a, like a lot of saturation. It's like um, and and crazy tape loops and stuff like yeah. the textures that this kid is coming up with. I'm like, I've never heard anything like this right. in my life. Right. Um, and uh, so I, I just call, I kind of like, uh, I got his email and just like sent him a cold email. Oh, really? And I was like, Hey, do you want to do this record with me? And he was like, he was like, Whoa, definitely. So, um, I like drove up to Orange County. I met with him and like we, so we produced it together, but a lot of the sound, like, the parts are a lot of most of them are me um and even like i played the bass on most of this record and a lot of the guitars and some of the keyboards and stuff but the textures and the sonics and like kind of the the juice like the like the magic a lot of it like most of that is nathan hammer on can't break through 10 years from monte cristo 19 for any two frame two we're gonna make it work out This time everything has got to change. 
this record doesn't have a lot of that like Dylan-esque like tackling of social issues um whether that's like you know within the church like I did a little bit or that's with you know with the opioids and racism and all uh you know all these different things and part of the reason why that's the case is because like when I got to this record I was kind of like man we've had enough a little bit you know like I I think like um I always want to push back on I want to push back on like what I think is is happening and with that record, it was like, we're a little too comfortable. I need to like kind of shake the cage here a little bit. Wow. And on this record, I was like, you know what? We've had enough of that. Like, I kind of want to make something that is about moving on and embodying the the people in the future that we want to have. It's not like, I'm not like telling you to like get better. It's like, it's a little bit of like, or telling me all of that stuff's for me too, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's really way more about like, hey, look, we're, look at how far we've come. Um, there's a song called buyer confidence on the record. And it's like that to me is sort of the answer to all the questions I'm asking on the album, which is like, well then what do we do? Mm-hmm. Cause it just felt like coming out of that season. It was also like this like wild time of like trying to reinvigorate ourselves to go out. It's like, okay, we're free, you know? And for me in my mind, like during COVID, I figured like, man, when that happens, like it's going to be like spring in the Northwest. It's going to be the roaring twenties. Everybody's going to be out ripping and it's going to be like joy in the streets. And then we got here and everybody's just sort of tired and beat up and sad and angry, man. And like we've lost, everybody's lost people and we've, you know, the economy's all jacked up and, and people are scared about the future. And, and it's like, it's not this joyous like arrival that I think we all expected. It's actually like, it's like, we're kind of coming in with our hat in our hands a little bit. And I saw that coming a little bit and I was like, I don't think I need, it's like, I don't want to like be pointing fingers right now. You know, I'm sure I will again one day, but right now I'm like, let's just kind of like look back at our childhoods and look forward into our adulthoods and like give ourselves a little bit of a, of, of, of a license to just like not to like, just let ourselves be who we are with this like drive towards being the best versions of ourselves that we can in the future. Well, if growing up is learned, Things are not the way you wish Tiger hanging by his seatbelt Wrong side up down in the ditch I'll disappoint the disappointment Fail to fail, defeat, defeat Yeah, believe in the believing The kind of hero that I need You seem to be a part of a scene that we had always wanted to see but never really imagined we were going to see in that you're you're affiliated with Tooth and Nail Records, Mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, Tooth and Nail famous in the 90s and 2000s for you know, mm-hmm. music from the Christian world. And it never used to be possible to mm-hmm. this idea that you could be a person of faith and make music that was available to everybody was mm-hmm. other than you two or a handful of artists who just did it in the mainstream. It just yeah. wasn't possible. Tooth and Nail was when they first came to the table, I was like, oh, not, not them. Because in my mind, it was like they did Under Oath or whatever. 
you know, like they did like hardcore and MXPX and stuff, which I grew up on that stuff. And it's, I love a lot of that stuff. It's great. And, uh, and they launched Pedro the lion, you know, which actually later on that was like, that was actually one of the things was that when I talked to them on the phone, they were like, we like really think that you could be a good fit here. And, um, and then we talked a lot about like the Damien Gerardo and right. Pedro lion and even like me without you. And, but yeah, as far as the scene stuff goes, that's something that I'm really trying to figure out because in my mind, like, it's just we're in we're in the wild west right now you know it makes even like the idea of buzz and what's happening it that's even like just because there's so much stuff happening there's so much music being put out and and there's not these like the thing that's really been hard for me is the way that i always saw music happening and working growing up in the northwest was that there's these regional scenes that support each other there's all you know there's these 40 bands in seattle that all play at the crocodile and right. at the triple door or whatever and at the, you know, at the tractor and these clubs and the sunset and all these places that the bands play and you go to each other's shows and you play on each other's records and you go on tour together. And so as a young artist, I was like, that's what will happen if I do this or whatever, is that like, there'll be this group of people. And it now, it just feels like if it was little ponds, you know, it's like, they kind of like all it's, we're all one giant ocean now, you know? Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people that are doing really interesting things, um, uh, like Maddie Cunningham played here last oh, night and yeah. she's, she sang on someday I'll make it all to you. And is her and her husband, Austin are like friends of ours. And, um, she, you know, grew up as a like pastor's kid and is now like, you know, arguably the best guitarist in the country and, and crushing it. Um, and doesn't sing about that stuff so much a little bit, but, um, you know, she's, she's definitely from that world or, you know, you've got like the Watkins from nickel Creek. I was joking about like the guys in my band here are like, a lot of them are like road dogs, like guys that play with tons of artists and are like amazing. And all of them grew up like either homeschooled or close to it playing in church. Yeah. That's why they're so good. Cause they were, pl- <laughs> it's funny how that happens. Yeah, They're playing in yeah. church when they were like nine right. years old or 10 right. years old or whatever. And now they're just monsters. Right. So a lot of people in the music industry are that way. But it isn't like, I, I am trying to figure out like, what, like, where do I live? Like, where do we live? You know? And, and it's, that is something that is, we have lost that. I think like the, the regional thing that was so important to me as a kid. Um, it just feels like it's all happening at once. Cause we're all living in the internet or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but I think like the place that I've landed with it is that the freedom, the, the frustrating thing about it is that like the camaraderie of coming up together and like, and like existing together. You know, I have my crew, my people in San Diego that are amazing and are doing all sorts of cool stuff. Um, but it's, it's definitely different, but the, the freedom to it though, I think is that it does allow you to be, I get to be like as honest as I want to be about who I am. I can say like, you know, look, I, I am a, like I'm a person of faith and I, and I sing about that stuff sometimes. And also that's not like the entirety of who I am as an artist. You know, I I get to sing about other stuff too. I think that that has been really positive to be able to say like, I can just be who I am. So if I'm being honest if I'm being It's a photograph. Oh, 
you seem to be willing to tackle some kind of mental health mm-hmm. issues. Uh, how personal and confessional is that? And how has, has uh, mental health awareness and mm-hmm. um, issues related to that? You've talked already about learning disabilities and things like that, but how has that factored into your creativity and the way you approach your art? The, the the first song on the record is called it's called Oh No, which is supposed to be like a it's um like kind of a song version of what having a panic attack feels like, which is something that I went th- have gone through a lot and the different stage like different uh um amounts of how severe that is or whatever over the past like, you know, seven years or something. So um the that basically I would just like wake up in the middle of the night and be like ha- like on you know, on a rocket ship to Mars. And um at the same time, like I have a lot of friends that have real, like not to say that's not real. It's definitely real, but like I have friends that have bipolar disorder and, and friends that are medicated for anxiety and things like that. And I guess like, I think, I think that one thing that I've found is that like when you, when you sort of like tackle stuff like that straight on, it actually is comforting to people. Right. I think people, when, when people hear that, they're like, Oh man, I'm not the only one that wakes up at three in the morning and feels like, you know, the box has been lifted off my head and I can see that the, everything in the world is dangerous. Um, you know, every night at, on this tour, somebody will come up to me like, I, that happens to me and thank you for saying that or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I, uh, I think that like the mental health stuff is like at least as big, if not a bigger issue than anything else I've written about on all of my records. It's like, it's a giant problem. And, and, um, I can, it does feel like, uh, we are all sort of like infected with something that is like worry uh, and also, you know, well, well beyond worry. (laughs) Um, So I I think like trying to bring, you know, part of your job as an artist is to like try to shine light on things that try to like, you know, they said that like academia is taking something simple and making it complicated and (laughs) an artist taking something complicated and making it simple. And, um, I think that that has been helpful for people. In fact, like that song, it's crazy, but that pe- more people stream Oh No than they stream Carlo Rossi. Oh no, I'm awake again Three in the morning Can't catch my breathing, my heart and it's beating Oh no, guess I'll go back outside on the porch mostly naked again While our police captain neighbors are up getting wasted I know Even the title Milk Teeth and the idea, I, I love that you choose milk teeth instead of baby teeth because yeah. there's a reason God gives us practice teeth first. We would kill each other if yeah. we were given the real thing. There's like elements of other kinds of mental health issues Mm -hmm. you're willing to do that in ways that most people in the past have not Mm -hmm. unless they're making fun of it or making a joke about it Mm -hmm. um do you think that art plays a role in mental health and healing and recovery and in your life has it had a therapeutic effect to to tackle these things without question and i actually think like even beyond that like i think that the current state like a lot of the reason why a lot of people are a lot of mental illness right now I think is actually driven by like things that are beyond people's control. Like I think that like the state of society and technology and the way that we talk to each other and all these things are huge causes of that. 
And I think that like, it's actually something that I always push back with in this town specifically in Nashville is that Nashville a lot of times is, is asking the questions like, well, what will be successful? Like what will sell? Right. And in my mind, it's like, you guys are, are like artists, musicians, filmmakers, authors are sort of the ones driving the ship, like culture, policy, uh, everything follows art. It always has. And so it's like, well, you know, if you're fall, if you're kind of like following, it's like, where are we going? Like trying to have that sense of like, where are we going? Like, where do you think, like, what's the, whatever audience or whatever power you have, like, where do you think that we should be going? Um, and so I actually think that like, in some ways art is, you know, the, the healing of a lot of things, not only on like a personal level, but on like a more meta level, like on a societal mm-hmm. level, it's the thing that makes the stuff better, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's why like it's again it's why like i didn't like do a lot of tearing down on milk teeth like i did on someday i'll make it all up to you it's like because that wasn't what i thought we needed mm-hmm. um not say that i'm like the the savior or an expert or anything but i think there is a responsibility to making things like having some sort of vision like if people are going to listen what do you want them to listen to right thank you for sharing that i really appreciate that you for being with us today yeah and thank you for sharing all this stuff and and thank you for this these albums it's mm. <laughs> a lot of work <laughs> it's a privilege to make them yeah as i pull out my soapbox to wrap this up I'm thinking a bit more about Tyson's concept of milk teeth or baby teeth and his comments about the things we lose when we hit adulthood. I can be quite nostalgic at times, especially when it comes to music, though I definitely would never want to go back to my own personal childhood again. But I wonder if there's something in that nostalgia that should worry me. Everywhere I look, I see products designed to tap into my nostalgia be it a nebulous hunger for the good old days, the way things used to be, in some possibly mythological past in which things were better, or maybe the slew of movies and reunion tours designed to sell me stuff that I loved when I was a kid. It's like there's a whole industry out there dedicated to making me keep my milk teeth and to neglect my adult teeth. 
It seems to me that one of the biggest problems with our community is that many of us so-called grown-ups seem unwilling to let go of our childishness. We don't want meat. We don't want to be challenged, to discern truth from fiction, to do the hard work. We just want to be told we are right and sold some reboots of the movies and albums and comics that we already love. Many of us become downright angry when our comfortable way of life is challenged. That doesn't seem like growth to me. That doesn't seem like what great art wants to do in my heart and mind. Most of us know 1 Corinthians 13, whether we consider ourselves to be Christians or not. It's called the love chapter for good reason. And if you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard part or all of it read aloud. But after this conversation, I am really hung up on the ending. It's kind of a good news, bad news ending, I think, because Paul admits that when he was a child, he talked, thought, and reasoned like a child. But when he grew up, he put childish ways behind him. Then he connected that kind of growth to the way we as spiritual people only see spiritual things partially now, like in a dirty mirror, but we have faith that someday we will understand those things, we will comprehend them as if we were seeing them face to face. We know things now partly, but someday we will understand them fully. We'll lose our milk teeth. Then he ends that section with the promise that in the end, now, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love but that the greatest or most important of those things is love. What does the putting away of childishness have to do with the greatest remaining thing being love? I think that maybe if we don't learn how to grow up, how to get our adult teeth, how to discern faith and hope and love, how to look in a dirty mirror for the fragments of truth and find the patterns, we'll miss out on love altogether. We become sitting ducks for those who would tempt us to go back to our childish ways, those who would tempt us to sell our birthright for beans or to put down our cross and pick up a crossbow. I love that great music can help me think about things like this if I let it. The question remains, what do I do now? I don't know about you, but I'm striving after love. Okay, I'm climbing off my soapbox now. That's going to do it for this episode of the True Tunes Podcast. Thanks to Tyson Motzenbacher for his time and for sending us some really cool rare music to add to the show. You can find a complete list of all of the music used on this episode and some great links as well on the show notes page. Make sure to pick up a copy of Tyson's new album, Milk Teeth, and his previous album, Someday I'll Make It All Up To You. And if this is your first time joining us here on the podcast, welcome. We've got over 80 previous episodes waiting for you to discover, featuring conversations with a wide range of artists, songwriters, filmmakers, and others from different genres and generations, all willing to explore the deep end of the creative pool. I've been exploring these themes since I founded the original True Tunes record store and magazine over 30 years ago, and it's really exciting to hear how younger artists like Tyson or many of the others we've had or will have on the show fit into this larger story. 
You can find the entire catalog of episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and many other platforms. Thanks also to Phil Keggy and Rex Paul for our theme song, the special instrumental mix of Full Circle. Phil continues to put out incredible new and classic music through his Keggy's Garage Bandcamp page. We'll link to it on the show notes page as well, but check it out. Amazing stuff. Please remember to check out our weekly Spotify mix, subscribe to our email list, leave us a rating and review at Apple Podcast, and tell your friends about the show. We've got some new True Tunes t-shirts, stickers, buttons, and pins available, so check those out too. And if you'd like to support the show, please drop by patreon.com slash truetunes. And if you'd like to have me come speak in your neck of the woods, let me know. We're also looking for sponsors. So if you have a book or film or conference or something else that you would like to promote to the coolest podcast audience in the world, let me know. This podcast was written and produced by me, JJT, with co-production, editing, and sound design by Bruce A. Brown for Gyroscope Productions. The contents of the program are protected by U.S. copyright law and are the intellectual property of Gyroscope Productions, with the exception of songs or clips that are from previously copywritten materials. Everything on this episode is used by permission or under fair use provisions. Thoughts and opinions of our guests do not represent the positions of our producers or our sponsors. Discernment is always recommended. This program is intended for the private use of our listening audience. Gyroscope Productions can be reached at jjt at truetunes.com or P.O. Box 60401, Nashville, Tennessee 37206. Until next time, this is JJT reminding you all to stay tuned and stay true. Peace. Matzenbacher, thank you for being with us here on the <laughs> True Tunes podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Got to hit record. So there's a whole section there that uh, people that are our patrons on uh, Patreon are going to see on the video. That uh, that part was no uh, good anyway. I'm sorry. <laughs> good news, boppers. The big alert has been called off. It turns out that the early reports were wrong, all wrong. Now for that group out there that had such a hard time getting home, sorry about that.